Yeah, injections can be helpful. I, I think the ther you know, the physical therapy is unlike the knee and hip where I think it's limited, it really can make a huge difference for these patients. Because, you know, if if you can slow down how much they lose over time and because it's a non-weight bearing joint, patients do really, really well with the physical therapy. So in a lot of cases I tell patients, look, and it's always a hard discussion because I tell them I gotta make you comfortable so I can get the therapist to do what they need to do. And so you put them on an anti-inflammatory or I give them the injection. And of course, after a week, they say I'm better. <laughs> they never follow up with a physical therapist and you see them a couple months later. So I tell them, look, I'm making you comfortable so you can do what you really need to do with the therapist. Hello everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Wellness podcast sponsored by the Columbia Association. I am Dr. Harry Oaken, a community physician for over 35 years and the medical director for the Columbia Association. I am proud to be working with CA for over a decade to help assist in their mission to improve the health and wellness of our community. It's my pleasure today to have as my guest, Dr. Joe Lyog. He is a trusted and accomplished colleague. Dr. Lag has been practicing orthopedics in Howard County for over 25 years. After completing his medical degree and orthopedic surgery residency at Georgetown, he began private practice in 1995. He has served as chairman of the orthopedic surgery department at Laurel Regional Hospital and has been on the Columbia Association board since its inception. Dr. Laog is a general orthopedist, but has a special interest in sports medicine and arthroscopy. He is an accomplished triathlete and excellent skier. He is totally dedicated to helping people stay healthy so that they can have rich, full lives, enjoying sports, exercise, and life in general. It is so nice to have my good friend here today. Welcome, Joe. Thanks, Harry. So today we're going to talk about shoulder injuries. And, you know, each year, millions of people of all ages go to the doctor for shoulder problems. These include sprains, strains, tears, arthritis, impingement of the shoulder, and fractures. Often these injuries are caused by excessive athletic activities, repetitive motion like overhead motion, swimming, tennis, pitching, weightlifting. They can all cause these injuries, but they also occur during everyday household activities, such as washing walls and hanging curtains and just activities of daily life. The shoulder is a ball and socket joint, and it can be unstable for lots of reasons. And having had shoulder problems myself, you fixed me. We came to you to learn learn a little bit more about common shoulder injuries. So you see these every day, right? Yeah, I see them every day. So, and, you know, by by far, you know, we see bursitis and tendonitis. And a lot of the patients will focus on, well, which one is it? And I told you, well, I don't have to be that smart because we treat them both the same way. But I, I think the reality is, in most cases, bursitis, tendonitis, and to some degree, even partial tears and full thickness tears can be a continuum of one another. And so the easiest patients to treat are the ones that are participating in an exercise routine regularly. The most difficult patients are the ones that get it with just with their day-to-day -day activities, not necessarily just from overuse, just from using it. So yeah, it's a very common condition that we're seeing probably a dozen patients a day with. And me personally, having had shoulder problems, I mean, it hurts. Yeah. It and really, when, It's really life, life disrupting. Well, I think probably, and you can comment on this. You can get away with it during the day. By the time I see them, most patients are having pain at night. And that's what drives a lot of patients in. Not that they can't do things during the day, but they start having pain at night. And that's very common with bursitis and tendonitis and even arthritis of the shoulder. Yeah. 
So get, getting to the, the diagnosis of exactly what's wrong, which may, may make you decide, well, which way you're going to go, what do you usually do? Well, I think How the most important go? thing is history and physical examination. And I will probably touch on this later, but I mean, really the history and physical examination and plain x-rays are going to point to the diagnosis 99% of the time. You know, the, the issue we have are with MRIs. And I tell my patients all the time, I love technology and I hate technology because they show us everything. And what we know, and they've done the studies, they've taken 100 guys age 50 that never had a shoulder injury and never had shoulder pain and they got MRIs on them. And by age 50, 17% of the population has a rotator cuff tear. So we have to be a little careful with technology. So I, I really try to, in treating my patients, telling them we're going to get a history, get a physical exam, get an x-ray. And the x-ray is helpful because it at least points me in the direction, is this arthritis or is it not arthritis? And I tell patients, I'm only going to get an MRI if I'm not making you better. Because an MRI, if you're 50 or older, is in all likelihood going to show us something. And we were always trained, only get a test if you're going to act on the results and it's going to change your treatment. So, you know, really the history and physical and x-rays really 90, 95% of the time point us in the right direction as far as the treatment algorithm. I'm so glad you pointed that out about the MRI, because as you said, so often people will have a tear they didn't know or a slap tear or a labral tear or whatever, and they want to know what the significance is. And until they had it, had pain was no significance. I think uh, the point also that you put out is that shoulder pain doesn't necessarily have to be from the joint or the tendons. It could be a sign of something else. Particularly, I think if you have shoulder pain and you're not moving your shoulder, if you have pain without moving your shoulder, it could be something else. And so it does certainly, you know, warrant further investigation. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think anytime someone comes in with shoulder pain, it's sort of interesting. I t ask them to show me where their pain is. And so when patients say, well, I have pain in my shoulder here, more than likely it's coming from the cervical spine. Right. So when patients tell me they're having pain up this high, I always do an examination of the cervical spine because it's nerve pain is a great masquerader, right? And so my index of suspicion to your point is when somebody comes in and they have full range of motion of the shoulder, without pain, but they're having pain in this area, it's more likely their cervical spine. So you have to do a good cervical spine exam, neurologic exam. It's interesting, patients that have rotator cuff and shoulder issues complain of pain more down on their arm. And then you have a heck of a time convincing patients their arm pain's coming from their shoulder. And the reality is the same nerve that supplies the rotator cuff, the shoulder joint supplies the skin all the way to the elbow. And so that referred pain pattern is very, very common. So when it's arm pain, it's typically shoulder. When it's the shoulder in the patient's mind, it's their shoulder. It's really probably their neck. Right. Well, from an internal medicine standpoint, too, you know, it could be even something from the chest wall or from the chest cavity. And I'm not always focused on personally. If you have pain when I move your shoulder, it's probably your shoulder. Right. But if you don't, if you have pain, regardless of what I'm doing, I got to look really close. Right. So to your point. So. One thing I wanted to comment you on is sometimes people have so much pain, they're not moving their shoulder because it hurts too much. And then what happens? Well, you know, it's, it's tough to get an exam in that particular, you know, situation. So when they can't move their shoulder at all, and it's that severe, you know, then it's sort of, in my mind, it's a temporal issue. So if I have somebody that comes in and says, you know, two weeks ago, I was fine. And now this thing's killing me and I can't move it. 
I think about a calcific tendonitis because those patients will develop acute pain in the shoulder. If I have someone that comes in and says, well, you know, I've really been having discomfort in my shoulder for months and I've really noticed a significant restriction in my range of motion recently, then I think about an adhesive capsulitis, right. you know? So from a history standpoint, there's a bit of a temporal relationship. So if it's acute pain, I think about calcific tendonitis. If it's been more of a chronic scenario, then I, I start thinking about a frozen shoulder or what we call an adhesive capsulitis. And I, I wanted to speak about adhesive capsulitis or what we call frozen shoulder, right? And um, because you do see people who kind of ignore their pain and then they have a reduction in their range of motion and they're stuck. And if they keep ignoring their pain before you know it, they're going to hardly be able to reach up and get into the cupboard. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the interesting thing about frozen shoulder is, you know, if you read all the Tux books, they say, oh, it just happens. It comes out of nowhere. And I, I don't think I necessarily believe it. I, you know, I tell patients, this is an, an inflammatory process. And my analogy is, you know, if the shoulder is a ball and socket, I tell me there's lots of different designs of ball and socket. So I think about the shoulder being a golf ball and a golf tee, right? So it gives you an incredible range of motion, unlike your hip joint, where it's a big ball and a big socket, there's limited motion. And so I think with frozen shoulder, my analogy is if I put a match underneath saran wrap, it shrinks down. And that's what happens with frozen shoulder and it binds up your motion and it can happen over months. But I think the majority of these patients have an underlying bursitis, an underlying tendonitis. And we know there's a subset of the population, females between the ages of 40 to 60, patients with diabetes, thyroid disease that develop an exuberant scar tissue reaction to this inflammation and that motion goes away over a period of time. A lot of what these patients make up for is, is at their shoulder blade. So they can still get their hand where they want it to go, but instead of a more fluid motion, you know, they're hiking their shoulder up. So they don't realize how much motion they've left in, until you examine them and you take away their shoulder blade. But, it, you know, it's something that typically happens over a longer period of time, but they, they get to a point where they can't compensate anymore and then they end up in the office. Well, let's talk a little bit about now rotator cuff injuries are really common phenomena. And as you said, if you do MRIs on people over 50, about 20% will have actually unbeknownst to them rips of their rotator cuff. But if they really have a big rip and it's a it's a complete tear, I mean, they'll know it because they have no power in their shoulder, right? That's the challenge, right? So, I mean, I see patients on a regular basis. You know, now when we talk about rotator cuff tears, you know, everybody wants to know, well, how big of a tear is it? And the reality is the size of the tear doesn't necessarily correlate with patient symptoms. And so, you know, this is a board question for us nowadays. The 70-year-old man comes in, was raking lees, has acute shoulder pain, can't lift their shoulder. They come in with an MRI and they have a massive rotator cuff tear. What's the treatment? And the answer is cortisone injection, rehab, bring them back in three weeks to see how they're doing. Because that guy that's 50 that had the tear, that tear doesn't go away. It gets bigger over a period of time. And so now we don't talk about so much the size of the tear. We talk about threshold for symptoms. And, and so sort of my algorithm depends in somebody that comes in with an MRI, how big of a tear is it? But more importantly, now we know which tears we can fix and which ones we should try to treat conservatively. Right. And, and that's that has revolutionized really the management of rotator cuff pathology, because in the old days, to your point, somebody would come in, 
they fail conserved measures, we get MRI and we say, oh, well, you know, you got a, a big rotator cuff tear and we try to go in there and fix it. And in probably 15 to 20% of cases, we got in there. And, you know, when the rotator cuff tears, it's sort of like that window blind effect. The muscle pulls the tendon back and there's a big gap. So when patients say, well, is it going to heal? No, it's not going to heal because it's not attached. So we have to bring it down where it needs to be. And the problem is some of these tears that have been there for a long period of time were scarred in and we couldn't get it down to where they needed to be. Or we were able to get the tendon down, but then the muscle didn't wake up. And so, you know, those patients didn't benefit from surgery. When I see those patients now, you know, it's funny. I'll get these older guys in here and say, well, you know, it hurts when I play 72 holes of golf, but I can do everything else. I have the younger guys say I can't sleep at night, right? So it's the guys that can't sleep at night that need something done. You know, the older guys are going to try to, you know, rehab those because A, you probably can't fix it. Uh, And B, if you do fix it, a lot of times the the muscles don't wake up. So, you, you know, when we look at rotator cuff surgery, I think when we look at patient dissatisfaction, it's patients that say, well, my pain went away, but my my strength did not. And so I think we have to educate patients and tell them, look, rotator cuff surgery is for pain. If you get your strength back and your full range of motion back, that's icing on the cake. But that is not a guarantee. And and, and every study has shown that. So it's really a pain operation, not a not a strength and power uh, power operation. That's a really good point. Now, but your your treatment armamentarium for rotator cuff tears that are symptomatic doesn't jump right to surgery, right? You want to explain which how you approach it? So I think it, to some degree, it's, it's age of patient, right? right? So if I have an active patient that plays a sport and they have a retracted rotator cuff tear, we know the natural history, 60% of those are going to progress over time. So I'm going to alert the patient, you know, there's a high likelihood that this is going to propagate. Now, if you want to try conservative measures, we try conservative measures, but this shouldn't be ignored if you can't return to sport or you're having pain at night. And so in those patients, step one is somehow get the inflammation down. And you and and I think the problem we run into with, at least that I see when patients come in the office, they say, oh, I've had physical therapy, I've had medications. I tell them you did all the right things in the wrong order. And so Whenever I approach a rotator cuff issue, I tell them step one is we got to get the inflammation down. Step two is we got to get your range of motion. And then step three is we got to try to get your strength back. And when you try to skip one of those steps, you end up spinning your wheels. So, you know, when step one is it's either going to be an anti-inflammatory. If it's been going on a long period of time, I'll offer a cortisone injection, provided the patient isn't anxious to have surgery because the literature shows you should probably keep cortisone out of the shoulder for at least three to four months before you recommend an operation. But, you know, that tends to be my workhorse because it gives us a lot of information in a short period of time. But I try conservative measures unless it's a large tear in in a younger individual where I tell them, look, we know it's going to get bigger. You're having night pain. We should probably do something about it before we can. Right. Good advice. Well, so that's rotator cuff injuries, which be awfully painful and chronic. And and uh, that's good advice there. Let's talk about arthritis of the shoulder, the arthritis that people tend to get and kind of separating those people. Some people will have arthritis and a tear, right? Yes. So you'll learn about the arthritis by plain old x-ray, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and you have to sort of think about the shoulder being two joints because there's the acromioclavicular joint and we'll see arthritis in that joint in 20-year-old power lifters. 
and that's totally asymptomatic. And that's right at the end of the collarbone. So that that is an arthritis. But as far as across the ball and socket joint, you know, I, I tell me the good news about arthritis in the shoulder is now that we've evolved and we don't walk in our hands anymore, you know, shoulder arthritis is much better tolerated than arthritis of the knee or arthritis of the hip. Uh, and so plain x-rays typically are going to give us the diagnosis. And MRIs, once you see arthritis in the shoulder, you know, MRIs become less of an important study to, to get. So for those people to make them comfortable, you typically would give them non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, range of motion exercises. If that doesn't work, they may benefit from yeah, injections can be helpful. I, I think the ther, you know, the physical therapy is unlike the knee and hip, where I think it's limited. It really can make a huge difference for these patients because you know if if you can slow down how much they lose over time, and because it's a non weight bearing joint, patients do really really well with the physical therapy. So in a lot of cases, I tell patients, look, and it's always a hard discussion because I tell them I got to make you comfortable so I can get the therapist to do what they need to do, and so you put them on an anti inflammatory. Or I give them the injection. And of course, after a week, they say I'm better. <laughs> they never follow up with a physical therapist and you see them a couple months later. So I tell them, look, I'm making you comfortable so you can do what you really need to do with the therapist. Once you're having pain, they can't do much with you. Now, once they have a moderate to severe amount of arthritis and you know it's intra-articular, does that matter from a standpoint of placement of the needle, or are you able to get into the joint with the needle where you want to put the steroid? Or in some cases, you can use viscosupplementation, which I don't think is Medicare approved, but sometimes people are doing it, right? Yeah. So it's not FDA approved for the uh, for the shoulder. So I don't typically do that. I think if patients are pushing for it, that's probably much better done under ultrasound or fluoroscopy right. because when you get that viscous supplementation outside the joint, it can be a pretty good chemical irritant. Patients can have a lot of discomfort afterwards. And right, so, so I think that's- talking like, about hyaluronic acid, something you know it as Cinevisc. Yes. Yeah. And and I think, you know, that's that's the issue. Probably the only issue why it hasn't been FDA approved is it really, you, you can't miss, you miss on that when patients are going to have a lot of side effects. Right. You know, and, and none of the studies, even for knee arthritis, have shown that hyaluronic acid preparations are any better than- corticosteroids as far as pain relief goes. Right. But, but as far as placement right. of the needle, it's it's very predictable. Even in power lifters, there's a very predictable place to inject from the posterior shoulder that even in bigger guys, you can feel the soft spot. And I right. also tell patients, the nice thing is when you place the needle, if you haven't moved their shoulder a little bit, usually it moves the needle and you know you're in the joint. So it's right. a pretty predictable injection. Right. Now, if that doesn't work, you're left with shoulder replacement, which is no picnic, right? No, it's no picnic. That solves the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and to your point, then it comes down to, you know, I tell you when you have shoulder arthritis and you're thinking about an operation, I will go ahead and recommend an MRI because we want to know, is it arthritis with or without a rotator cuff tear? Right. So a tra traditional shoulder replacement requires an intact rotator cuff. If you have a rotator cuff tear and arthritis, they actually have designed a reverse shoulder replacement that substitutes, or you don't need a rotator cuff. You you rely on the deltoid to stabilize it. Got it. Yeah. And I, I certainly have patients that are getting one or the other. I didn't realize that the reverse 
shoulder replacement is more for people who have significant rotator cuff tears. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. You, yeah. Yep. You got to have the rotator cuff yeah. to stabilize your traditional, traditional shoulder. Right. Right. Well, I think we've talked about diagnosis and treatment and physical therapy and injections. There's three other things I wanted to ask you about that can be possibly helpful for shoulder pain, shoulder treatment. One is the role of the chiropractor. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think that when it comes to neck and shoulder and lumbar spine and hip, you know, there's a lot of crossover. And so while I wouldn't recommend manipulation on the shoulder, I think that a chiropractor that's trained in the mechanics of the shoulder, particularly posture, you know, it, it's, it's sort of funny. I, you know, I, you talked mentioned impingement, which is sort of a trash can diagnosis, right? Bursitis, tendonitis, those all cause impingement symptoms. And we talk about intrinsic impingement where it's just the rotator cuff not functioning versus extrinsic impingement. And extrinsic impingement is due to bad posture. And right. as your shoulder blade slumps forward, it limits your ability to come up. You pull the shoulder blades back, patients can bring their arm up. So I think a chiropractor's in a lot of ways tend to be more cognizant of that than a physical therapist when it comes to postural and periscapular exercises. I'll tell you one thing I saw a lot during the pandemic was was mouse shoulder. Yeah. People were just on their computer all day and I had it myself and I had pain back on my scapula. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I mean it's all, all from posture. I mean it's all connected. I mean, I mean you look yeah. at these major league pitchers they focus more on their scapula and their mechanics than the rotator cuff strength thing. Right. So next thing I wanted to ask you about was sometimes of whether ultrasound therapy or blue laser therapy can be helpful. Have you seen or used that? Well, I mean, I think, think they're, in the orthopedic literature, you know, they really have minimum strength studies on them. You know, when they look at the strength studies, you know, it's, it's a non-invasive modality. I think the whole idea is, you know, why do rotator cuff issues occur? Why are people getting tears without an injury? And it's just bad blood supply. So if there's anything that can stimulate that blood supply, there's benefit to it, right? Theoretical right. or, or practical, but right. it doesn't involve a knife or a needle. Why not? Right. Exactly. And then lastly, I wanted to ask you about something you probably get questions about, I get questions about, and that is prolotherapy for the shoulder. Yeah, I mean, most of the literature, which is scant in the orthopedic literature, is really with osteoarthritis, you know, but not so much for the soft tissue injuries. But, you know, I, I, at least in the orthopedic literature, there has not been a lot of enthusiasm for it. Right. And for our viewers and listeners, Prolotherapy is about injecting small amounts of usually a sugar solution mixed with a little bit of lidocaine and key points to try to invoke, I think, some inflammation and then maybe some healing that way, right? Is yeah. that how it works right. or does anybody right. know how it works? I don't think anybody really knows how it works. Which begs the discussion about platelet-rich protein therapy as well. Yeah, so as far as the orthopedic literature and PRP, they've shown benefit with tennis elbow or lateral epicondylitis. They've shown some improvement in pain level with osteoarthritis. Not curative, not, it, it, it has some sort of anti. And so I think the interesting thing is, is whether it's PRP or the stem cells, actually they don't think it, whether it's, it's the platelets or the stem cells, there's actually a naturally occurring anti-inflammatory in your body and they've isolated that out. So now they're doing head-to-head -head studies to see, is it really the stem cells or the BRP or is it actually this naturally occurring anti-inflammatory that's in the, that happens to be brought yeah. in with those. And, you know, people are in search of non-surgical interventions that make them whole. So I certainly understand it when I get those questions. 
Well, this has been a terrific discussion, Joe. It's been my pleasure to have you as a guest. I look forward to more discussions, maybe on the knee, maybe on the hip in the future, because these are just so, so common injuries and people in this community are always active and playing and doing. And uh, as they're aging, we want them to continue to do that. So thank you again for being here. And thanks to you, our audience, for listening. And thank you to the Columbia Association for sponsoring this podcast. You can listen to all of our podcasts from Finding Your Wellness by typing into your browser, findingyourwellness.podbean.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Again, this is Dr. Harry Oaken for Finding Your Wellness. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Media Podcast.